Thanks for listening to this podcast. Today we're going to hear from Sonia Stewart. She's a Ewan woman from New South Wales and it's been a big week for her. She's been appointed as the CEO of the New South Wales Law Society and she's also been appointed as the chair of the Go Foundation. She's the first Indigenous woman to be appointed to the New South Wales Law Society and the first woman and she's also the first Indigenous chair of the Go Foundation. We spoke to her about her background, where she's come from, what her current priorities are, and also where she sees herself in the future. Take it black. Sonia, thanks for joining us today. Um, great to have you in for a chat. Um, thanks, Just want to talk about your recent appointments um, and how you got there. But let's let's go right back to the start. Tell tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you? Where are you from? Who's your mob? Absolutely. So um, thanks, JP, for having me here today. So my mob, um, Ewan, so beautiful Ewan mob, the south coast of New South Wales. So my grandmother was born at Wreck Bay and my grandfather's from Wallaga Lake, although he was actually born up in Kempsey because um, the family at the time were going up there for a lot of sawmill and forestry up there. So he was born up that way. So uh, Ewan country is my country. and I'm a very proud Ewan woman. And did you have the opportunity to grow up there or you grew up in Sydney? or? Uh... Yeah, so I grew up in Sydney. So um, my grandmother and her family at the time actually moved up to Bankstown. And then when she met my pop, uh, they lived in Alexandria and um, my dad and aunt and uncle were born uh, in Alexandria in the attic there of the, the terrace house. And then they sort of spent many years growing up around the Dundas Valley out near Parramatta and that's where I spent a lot of my time growing up, went to high school there, although there was a short period of time, went up to Brisbane, so very much a, a Sydney girl. I try to get on country whenever I can. It's like the best feeling ever to get on country. Uh, hopefully, I haven't been able to go there, of course, because of all the restrictions, um, but uh, I try to spend as much time as I can, but I didn't grow up on country. Mm. And you're, you're a very busy person, but what does it mean when you go back to you and country and, you know, take a step back from the city life. Does it does it enrich who you are as a as a Koori person from New South Wales? Absolutely. So, you know, often we go down... Um, so for people uh, who might not know my country, it sort of starts at the mighty Shoalhaven River and it's a really long, skinny country and the um, Great Dividing Rage sets that boundary. And um, where I go to spend time with family is just um, sort of the coastal side of Nowra, a place called Kalbara. And so often on Friday, uh, you know, it's getting uh, the kids, although my kids are a bit older now, so they tend to want to go down there without me, but um, getting them in the car. But when I open up that car door and smell that salt water, uh, I can already feel like my heartbeat changes and my stress levels change. And then I always try to jump in that water. It gets a bit cold down there, but I love uh, jumping in that salt water and putting my feet, you know, on that, taking my shoes off, mm. putting my feet on country, looking up at those stars and thinking that's what um, generations of my people have looked at. Uh, it's the best feeling in the world and I want to be there more and more the older I get, to be truthful. Yeah, it is, it's beautiful country uh, down on the south coast. Yeah, all you Canberra mob yeah, get over there a lot. But I think once you really learn about the Indigenous history of, of that part of the country, it's, it's, it becomes more appealing and you can, you can see how people lived on country and why they lived in that spot. And I, I, whenever I go down there and I learn more about the, the sort of the real history of the country, you just you're fascinated by that place and the interaction between 
the the range and the water and yeah absolutely it's, it's just it's just beautiful country yeah it is and and you know I acknowledge that a lot of mob listening always thinks that their country is the best country and that <laughs> um, yeah I it it's physically beautiful and it's spiritually just so so wonderful and you know when I uh, grow up and and finish working uh, that's where I'm going to be. Yeah, uh, on country, and and of course this this year was the two hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the Endeavour um, yep. sailing up the east coast, and the, you and Mob were some of the Absolutely. first mobs that he saw. He saw the fires at, at Murmuring. Yeah, that's right. Um, and in fact, tried to land and on sent you the and fires up the up the coast. And it was interesting. I was um, reading one of the journals um, because uh, before taking up these roles, I was um, running a Rilla Indigenous Consulting and looking at some of the journals where um, people that were on the ships were saying there must be some sort of fire happening along the coast. But that was you know, um, my elders from way back when signalling um, that there was something mm. happening and it wasn't good um, and, and following that fire all the way up, up to the coast to um, the land of the Eora Nation, which we're on now. Yeah, and the Endeavour actually tried to they tried to land near Wollongong. Um, yeah, I which think that's right. If they were able to land, might have been a different story, but yeah. Okay. All right, so you, you're from the south coast of New South Wales and uh, grew up in Sydney. Um, what was it like growing up in Sydney as a young Cory kid? Yeah, um, it it was good. I, I must admit, I was reflecting on that when I sort of came in, you know, coming in for this podcast today. That um, you know, I I had a really good childhood and um, I enjoyed growing up. I I didn't probably I I liked school, but there were parts of school that I really didn't like. And I think you know, on reflection, it's because when you're growing up, um, you know, with your family, you don't you can see difference, but you're not really told that you're too different but when you go into those education systems often that's when you're starkly reminded um, with racism and at times bullying and really bad behaviour about you're different you know and so but I, I had a, um, a good um, childhood growing up I really loved growing up in Brisbane it was that time where we lived near this big reserve and we literally would go bush and mum would pack us a lunch and we'd get on our bikes and, and go into the reserve next door um, you know the the I think it was the forestry reserve, um, but yeah, I had a, I had a good um, upbringing in in Sydney and still call it still call it home. So when when do you realise that you want to uh, follow in the legal profession? Yeah. Is it something that sparks your interest in school, or it's after you leave school? Uh, so it was when I was at school, um, and like this story is a little bit sort of. Um, probably a bit negative about me in that I I could hold a discussion and a bit of an argument in the yarn. So, um, you know, people were saying, oh, you're going to make a good lawyer. And, and you know, I, I was also thinking that, um, you know, my family had a lot to do with the South Coast Aboriginal Legal Service at the time, my uncle uh, Keith Smith in particular, mm. and other cousins have followed in those footsteps. So, um, you know, the, the law was something that I was quite aware of around those yarns at the kitchen table and other things like that. Um, so, and I worked really hard. I actually did commerce law. Uh, so I, I did uh, accounting and, and law. And that was a big transition to, um, like, I think like a lot of people probably listening, you know, being the first, being the first to finish high school and go to university and the first to finish uni, um, you know, is an amazing experience. But I was told that I had a bit of a gift of the gab and maybe go and have a look at that. And, and what drove you to be that first? Was it a drive for, for you personally or were, yeah. your, were your parents and or your extended family networks really pushing you to be that first 
you know, yeah. to finish high school and go into university. Yeah, and I've thought really deeply about this. I, I was brought up in an environment um, of believing that I could be whatever I want to be and I get a bit emotional thinking about that and um, what a loving, you know, to have aspiration for somebody and um, that they could be whatever they wanted to be, particularly when they perhaps didn't have a good experience of the education system. So, um, you know, if you work hard, um, you could be whatever you wanted to be. And, you know, I um, I was also brought up, and I know a lot of mob are, by, um, you know, aunties as well. And, you know, it, it does annoy me. Um, and I do acknowledge that there are a number of uh, Aboriginal children that are, um, you know, not in um, with their kin or with their kin for other uh, reasons and removed, but there's a lot of positive stories as well about aunts and uncles that looking after in a very safe space. And mm. so in my, um, you know, in my example, it was because, um, you know, my mum and dad wanted to work. And so my aunt, um, I've got two aunts who also, who grew me up and, um, and, uh, they had an enormous influence, um, on, on my life. So they all, it sounds as like they, they didn't accept that you couldn't be anything that you didn't want to be. You had to sort of succeed and strive, which is great. What do you think of the phrase that being black, you're, you're born political, like you're thrown straight into the political arena or the activist arena? Now, you're from a really famous New South Wales family <laughs> um, who are at the forefront of a, of a lot of Aboriginal yeah, rights issues policy. here. Yeah. Yep. So do you think that that had an impact on your life to, to put you where you are today? Absolutely. Like, you know, being involved in young, as a young person, being involved and hearing different conversations about government. So my family, you know, as you alluded to, JP, you know, they worked um, very hard in government and were quite successful. So either from the government part or the parts of my family who worked for lands councils or ALSs and were about some other, you know, some you know, advocacy around what government could do differently. So, so absolutely. And I think that's just not, you know, my story. It's a lot of our stories that, um, you know, we think about systems and how they work and impact on individuals um, and think about, you know, change. I think about impact a lot. I think about being part of the world's oldest surviving culture and we're here for such a short period mm. of time. So how do I have impact in whatever it is I do? So I think definitely... For me, and, um, being brought up and reflecting on that, it, it was um, those, you know, having that antenna and listening to some of those conversations and, and going um, to some of those uh, meetings and presentations and other things that happened really impacted on me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I think you're, you're really right in saying that, you know, we're, our generation is kind of the first generation that really benefited from, you know, the late 60s and early 70s, absolutely. The, the sort of the... Yep. the, the the Indigenous Rights Movement, the Aboriginal Rights Movement, but also the bureaucracy as well, you know, the formation of the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. Yep. Um, so there was a lot of young people, our parents were young, um, working in black policy. Absolutely. Um, and it was sort of they expected us to follow suit or to be part of uh, the future. Yeah. Um, and our generation, the world was the world was really our oyster. You know, we didn't absolutely. face the barriers that and our that, parents faced. Absolutely. And, like, uh, particularly when it came to education and freeing up... Uh, 
freeing up but creating space and protesting and being angry about opportunities for our generation to go and didn't necessarily mean to be university but what would what would you do after school and um, you know, I, that phrase that we hear that we stand on the shoulders of those that went before us, I think is so relevant to our generation. So we probably won't disclose our age, but I went to university in the late um, 80s and I was part of a cohort where um, those different um, equity programs or thinking about access, it was at the start of that. And um, I went with an amazing cohort of people, and one of them is your beautiful sister, Terry. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I'm not sure if there'll ever be a study of that cohort because people would say, is there something in the water? Because it was Professor Larissa Barrent, Dr. Anita Heiss. Uh, we were talking about Jeff Scott, mm -hmm. Jason Adler went to head up Aboriginal Affairs, uh, Dr. Kelvin Kong, the first Indian's throat specialist, um, you know, myself, other people that I've, uh, you know, probably um, forgotten at the moment. I'm sorry. But um, I don't think there was anything necessarily in the water. I think it was in our DNA that people had worked hard. You know, Bob Belair had gone to uni, Pat O'Shane, um, you know, Uncle Charlie, um, that it was almost incumbent upon us to take up this opportunity and, and being reminded. And ATSIC was always a good reminder for me of those elders and deep community members about, um, you know, one of them used to call me up and say to me, what are you doing for our people today, my girl? And that that sort of sense of drive and, and energy, um, may, maybe that was in the water. Yeah, and you, you're so right. I, you know, that, I think that those late 80s where a lot of people were going to university um, and they were, the, they were the first ones to start going to University of New South Wales or Sydney Uni to, do, to do law, to do, mm. to do some really tough... Um, Medicine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, that they were sort of the, the real trailblazers of uh, future generations. Um, and a lot, as you're saying, a lot of them have gone on to be have successful careers and, and give back a lot to community. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, so why law? Tell me, tell me why law. And you know, you, you mentioned my sister Terry. You know, she was one of the first. And my older sister Tony also yes, was a lawyer. Of law was law was not a real strong sort of sector for our mob to go into. Today, yeah. there's a lot of Indigenous lawyers. But why did you choose law? So, I. I chose law because it was hard and I set myself a really hard goal. Like at the time, the marks were really quite hard to get in. Had to do a double degree. I did commerce law. Um, ultimately, for me, I think it was around justice and around, um, you know, thinking about a system um, that was very important for our people. And the other thing was the skills that I would acquire by doing this degree. So the um, enormous amounts of information to analyse and synthesise, um, thinking about communication, thinking about things from a systems-wise perspective about clients, about problem solving and helping people. So, you know, at, at the end, the last bit is probably the big bit, helping people and mm. solving problems is what I like to do. And that's a great degree to do it with. Yeah. And of course, choosing that career—it's not all roses. There's there's points of that career, and even your academic life, where you must go. It's too hard. I'm yeah, going to give up. I didn't. I um, found it tough. So, I, so what makes you go on? Yeah. So um, uh, it gets a bit emotional, sort of thing. Uh, so five years is a hard time, and it's also really hard when you don't have a point of reference. So of course, I had people who could talk to me about things that was hard in their life and have that resilience. Um, but to have the deep experience, I didn't have people. And I went to uni with people who were third generation and, you know, their parents were part of the Alumni Association. 
Um, so I think, I don't know, that sense of impact and that I, I'd worked hard, I had good family support and I was just going to do it. You know, we had, um, there was a non-Aboriginal woman who bequeathed a house at the University of New South Wales, so the Koori Centre, mm. um, you know, hanging in there and um, Laurel Russ and, uh, you know, other people, Anne Martin worked there yeah. at one stage and um, so hanging there. Um, so, you know, that peer group. And then the other thing is um, I, I took, I didn't take a break, but I went away and I went and did an um, exchange program because uh, five years was quite a long, long degree and I, that really energised me. I went to Canada and I studied at the University of Alberta, which is in Edmonton. So I think that sense of, you know, you've got to just keep going. Um, it's incumbent upon you if you've been given um, intellect and that support and then being kind to yourself and reaching out when you need help and going to that centre, which I think is, is an amazing building now, but it was a you know beautiful old house uh, back in the day. Yeah. And did you get any support or was there opportunity to to be uh, propped up by the people that you went to uni with? Like you mentioned some of them, you know, Anita Heist, Terry, my sister, Calvin Kong, Jason Utter. Was there, you know, you guys were sort of the first to really push through uni. Yeah. It was, you know, the whole thing, idea of a, of an Indigenous student support centre was brand new. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, I, I often remember both Terry and Tony saying, oh, that's it, I'm done with uni, I need to quit because yeah. it's just too hard. Yeah. But, but they stayed. And I think for a lot of them it was that support that each student gave each other. Yes, that's right. And as I said, like just dropping in there and um, it was... It was just a safe space, hey, so that, um, you know, just check in, have a cuppa. Um, the computers were probably the size of this room and the photocopier. You know, a lot of us didn't have, uh, definitely not photocopies, but computers at home. But that support and reaching out to people, also good, you know, non, non-Aboriginal friends on, on, on campus, but definitely, um, you know, having that peer group and checking in was really important. So you mentioned you went to, to an, an exchange program to, to Canada. Um, did that teach you any sort of uh, experiences with the First Nations people of Canada that was similar to Australia? Did you see any sort of similarities between the way that First Nations people in Canada were treated and the same here? Yes, I did. And, um, you know, uh, n- mostly in those sort of negative statistics and um, way that systems don't work and um, Indigenous people's um, experience of those and, and failures of systems. Uh, also in strengths base ways and, and um, you know, similarities in terms of, um, you know, respect of elders, a deep connection to country and, um, and that resilience. Um, I went to a university that had a very big um, Indigenous footprint and I remember, you know, how we're talking about the little house at, on High Street at University of New South Wales. I remember um, going there and they said, oh, which student association, association do you want to go to? And because you could have chosen, chosen the Inuit one or the Métis one and, um, or the, you know, the other one. And, and there were so many of them. And, and I was like, going, oh, we've got enough to fill a lounge room in the little <laughs> house. But they had different associations. I also studied, um, I did a subject that was uh, around treaty. And I went with a view... Uh, um, in my mind about, um, you know, a perspective about treaty and did some of that case law, particularly with British Columbia um, uh, tribes. And I found that really interesting. Mm. And then later in my life, I was able to go, um, you know, to New Zealand, particularly for work and experience that. So it, it was eye-opening. I need to say it was really hard. I, I'd never left my family before. And I think one of the things about living in 
um, extended family with kin is that there's always someone around, even if mum and dad aren't. And, you know, the first night that I really spent by myself was on the way to Canada, which was we had to, um, just because of the flights, you, you had to go through Hawaii. And, and you know, I was 22. And so that's quite interesting, um, you know, be the first time ever alone in my life. And I missed, I missed my family. And yeah. it was a very, there's no mobile phones or Snapchat or TikTok. Um, you know, you'd have to send a letter mm. uh, or people would save up and make a call, hey. Mm. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And it defined me, you know, as being a different type of person when I came back. So, so what's, what happens after you come back? Where do, where do you go into in terms of work? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, this is quite an interesting tale in my career because um, I was ready to go to the College of Law and that's where you went and I think Terry would have gone and other people would have gone when they finished um, law school. But because I finished my degree in the Northern Hemisphere, they had to wait for the academic record to come. So I missed, the, I missed going in with the um, other cohort. So I, I had to wait and I got a job at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission as a commercial officer working in the business loans because I had that accounting degree. And um, I stayed there thinking I would just be there for a short period of time, but I was there for a longer period of time. Um, and before that, I'd been an Aboriginal cadet. I'd put myself and raised some money for the family uh, as I worked. Um, I, I worked at the Australian Trade Commission. Uh, yeah, but I came back and worked at ATSIC. Mm. And I, I worked at ATSIC as well for yeah. a, a, about a decade. What... Why, for you, why was ATSIC so important? Oh, well, you know, I don't think um, time has been kind to ATSIC. Uh, my personal view about ATSIC is that it provided um, a, a governance and uh, an organisation and a space and a voice for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, people and communities and organisations. And so... I thought that it was a real asset to Australia in terms of, um, you know, also internationally in terms of um, promoting some of the, um, you know, good work that was going on in communities as well as some of the things that needed to be improved in, in systems not working. I I don't think you can ever beat working, you know, with your people for your people. And, and I, you know... Sometimes people say, you know, you're lucky, but, you know, I think that you work hard for things. However, I was there and I think we were there at the same time or crossed over at a time where um, legends of uh, public policy, of advocacy, protest, service disruption uh, were in key leadership roles and you know, where we're now, um, I'm sorry, I'm, we're on um, podcast, so I can't show, but um, we're socially distanced. But, you know, I, my office was just across the way from Uncle Charlie Perkins, you know, and, um, you know, Steve Gordon. Mm. I worked nationally with other commissioners, um, you know, only Christine Williams, who's passed away. I mean, you would mm. know these individuals as, as well as I, but um, these are people who fought some very hard struggles and, um, you know, for for growing up and thinking about public uh, policy and how um, government could work better to improve outcomes for our people, it was a it was a very great spot. And I worked on reforming the Aboriginal legal services as uh, one of my jobs there, which is very relevant to the work I'm doing now. Yeah, I think working having the opportunity to work for ATSIC and and you knew that you just work for mob, you work for community, and you're answerable to community. I think that you know, I think working now in the in the public sector, you never 
you never have that feeling now. Um, so let's let's talk about after ATSIC and um, you spent some time working uh, with the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. I oh, know I didn't I didn't go oh, okay. there. So from ATSIC I actually went into the Premier's Department of Newt. So I went from Commonwealth to yep. State and um, I, I went there, which was quite interesting because uh, it was right before an election and I was um, responsible for $50 million and thinking about the, the election platform at the time as being tough on crime but the causes of crime. So I worked in that space. Um, I then went to uh, Department of um, Community Services, which was quite challenging. That's the statutory child protection agency mm. and acknowledging, you know, the impact um, that, you know, uh, removal of children has on children and families and communities and parents and aunts and uncles. I was in the prevention and early intervention space. Uh, then I went to the Public Service Commission, where as a Deputy Commissioner, which was amazing, I thought about the performance of Australasia's biggest workforce, uh, 400,000 employees in the sector. And, and then I went back into the Department of Premier and Cabinet. Um, I'm really proud of, of my career, more so the people that I've worked with and what they delivered. And I had a, a small tribe of children in that space as well. Um, I, I had four kids in that space and, and then went to Orilla uh, and then uh, at the Law Society where I am now. Well, I, you're like Terry. I don't know where you find time to have a family and uh, have such a, a, a wonderful career as you've, you've managed to do. Let's talk about where you are now with the, yeah. as CEO of the, the Law Society. Yeah. Um, you're the first Indigenous CEO of the yeah, Law Society. Yeah, the first female, female CEO too, yeah. What, what does that feel like? Uh, it feels like um, it feels good, and it feels like there's a responsibility to make sure I'm not the last. Yep, that's how it feels. And and what do you think? <laughs> the, what are the opportunities that you will want to bring to that position? Sure. Um, so the reason that I was really interested in this role, like values are really important to me and I think that's probably the case with a lot of mob about what values has this organisation got and what is it really trying to do. And and so for me when I looked at it, it it's about serving the profession, so the legal profession across New South Wales. Um, it's about really listening and acting on behalf of members. So there's uh, 36,000 uh, members, which is re- very high, um, and, and that's great that it's that high, and ensuring a just legal system. So for me, it's working to the president, it's working to the council about ensuring that that uh, vision is met. But, of course, I bring a lens which is quite unique um, in terms of, um, you know, n- knowing some things that I know about uh, systems and their impact on people along the way. And I'm always, you know, I'm always thinking about where are they, where's something happening best in the world and how can we bring that here? And and ultimately, and sadly, because of the rate of uh, representation of our people in the legal systems, you know, benefiting the system will benefit our people. Mm. And do you think that there's an opportunity that we can have, uh, you know, a real good conversation and almost a refresh uh, of sort of the policies, maybe the, the the way that Indigenous communities and the legal profession and also the, the justice system have been interacting over the last decade. Do you think that with the Black Lives Matter movement that there's a real thirst to refresh that relationship and maybe look at things differently uh, with a different lens on because it's, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement it's, it's really woken probably people outside of our circle mm. into having that conversation. And you think that's a real opportunity now to have those those conversations? Yes, I do. And and I think the other thing is not just, um, and I know that you would agree with this, it's not just the, the yarn or the conversation, it's the action. And I think, um, you know, the, one of the things that 
is a real asset that the Law Society brings is a profession that's deeply interested in this. And so they have a number of committees, they volunteer significant amount of their time to thinking very deeply about this. So there's some structures in place within the Law Society and through the membership that can bring that. The other thing is, um, you know, some processes and we've got to be mindful not to be too process, um, you know, orientated and to really listen to community and the principles of self-determination. But the closing the gap refresh that has these very clear targets that have to be met are another way that the Law Society could engage in that. So, you know, by 2031, the 15% reduction in adults in prison, the 30% reduction in um, our children uh, in detention and importantly the 45% uh, reduction in children um, who aren't with their family who are in out-of-home care. I think the other interesting thing to be watching is the Justice Reform Initiative where some um, very uh, uh, senior and eminent people from all across different spectrums and of, of political life are really thinking about our society and the cost and the impact of um, imprisoning people, not just our people, but um, all Australians. And, uh, you know, the Law Society is interested in engaging with that initiative as well. So I think that the time, you know, I, I have to be mindful and, and we have to be realistic that, you know, um, you know, these rates are unacceptable. And um, But I, th I feel a level of optimism and I've joined an organisation that thinks really deeply and cares and spends time trying to make sure the system is right and it's in their vision. And so that really resonated with me. Mm. And would, would that be one of your sort of priority areas is looking at the Close the Gap sort of refresh and, and working to meet those those set targets? Yeah, so um, uh, this is day eight for me and I need <laughs> to say that the priorities list is as long as the day at the moment. So, um, but, you know, obviously, you know, this is something that I'm going to bring um, a lens to, but I'm also mindful that I'm serving a membership of 36,000 people. It's good that there's some mob in that as well and working with the president and council. But I, I've read their submissions and because what they put on paper is really quite important and, you know, there's a real theme there around self-determination, around um, community-led, around the cycle of offending, around prevention and around governments putting funding where they need to. And so when I read that, that um, made me very, very proud to be the leader. And and so, um, you know, I've not had to make it my, my priority. It's early days. It, it is there. And they're really interested in seeing, um, you know, when government's ready about having a yarn around that closing the gap. Mm. All right. I want to talk about your role at the Go Foundation. But sure. before we get on to the Go Foundation, let's, let's sort of conclude where you are today by what, what message do you think that your career and where you are today um, sends to a young Aboriginal boy or girl that's going to uni for the first time or going overseas for the first time <laughs> and, and dreaming of things big? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what message would you send that young 22-year-old going to Canada who's going overseas for the first time and is scared of failure and leaving family? Yeah. You know, you're the CEO of the New South Wales Law Society. What message would you give that young girl going overseas today? Two words, back yourself. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why we might not do it. There's a lot of baggage that we tend to bring and, you know, we're imposter syndrome, are we ever quite good enough? Uh, 
and people are always looking at you anyway when you're in this leadership but when you're the first and or, or um, when you follow in a family uh, people might be looking at you a bit differently and, and um, backing yourself being kind to yourself and having support around you um, and uh, that's what I would say to that young girl um, first night by herself. <laughs> Some some really strong words here. Okay, so let's talk about the Go Foundation. Yep. Um, tell me, tell me about. Give me an elevator pitch of the Go Foundation. Okay, I'm very, I'm very happy to talk about the Law Society and the Go Foundation. It's been such a uh, a big week. Um, so, so the Go Foundation seeks to improve educational outcomes for Aboriginal um, boys and girls and men and women. And you're the chair of the Go Foundation? Yeah, I just became the chair. The first Indigenous chair of the Go Foundation? That's correct. And so the Go Foundation was set up by Michael O'Loughlin and Adam Goods, uh, so the G and the O. Um, and, you know, I, I knew Michael before and Adam a little bit. I know, I, um, you know, I, I know Adam a lot more now. And for me, I think there's only two things that you really own is your brand and how you spend your time. And for them to spend their time and their brand on this... Um, so we, we're in the business of providing um, scholarships, but I think it would be wrong to think it's just about the money. It's about, you know, it's about support, mentoring, and it's about access to opportunity. So there's three things, not just the one. And so I've become the chair. So in fact, we've had a very wonderful chair, um, Sam Moston, who is such, mm. has such eminence uh, across corporate Australia and, and community and, and arts and culture. So she stood aside and, uh, and said, um, you know, the best chair is here, so you come in. And uh, so I'm really, really proud of that. And Michael and Adam, it was part of their vision for that to happen. So we've got 532 um, uh, scholarships that we're providing. Um, mostly in Sydney, but the boys are really proud about Adelaide because that's where they uh, grew up. And then we're coming to the ACT uh, hopefully next year and that, and we're open at the moment for those scholarships around so if people are interested go to the Go Foundation. I think the other thing, um, so my elevator pitch was shorter, but the other thing I wanted to say that I'm really, really proud of is um, the focus on women and girls and um, this has come from Michael and Adam because they were brought up by some very, very strong women. I've got to meet um, Michael's mum, uh, Muriel, so I'm not sure if you're listening, Muriel, but a big shout out. And I've, I've waved to Adam's mum at a function. Um, but they were determined um, that, uh, that we meet quotas and statistics that have um, Aboriginal girls and women in mm. our scholarships. And, of course, for, for, for Adam and Michael, it, it's not just a matter of giving over money to schools no. to provide those kind of... They're in there, aren't they? They're in there every day talking to kids, mentoring kids and having, you know, giving kids that sort of that safety blanket. Um, and, you know, these are two iconic figures of Aboriginal Australia, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's where that... Um, thank you for saying that because it's not just about the money, it's about the support. And the other thing is about culture. So to do it in a very culturally safe uh, space. And they are, they, they're there for the mentoring days. Um, I was really blessed um, uh, last year when we launched in Adelaide, I went down there with them and uh, we were shaking a leg and doing some other things with the the, the kids from Palawa and other schools down there. And um, yeah, they are very, very present. And you, I just love sort of trying to stand on the side when they're having a yarn to the children because some of them are too young to understand really who they are. You know, I mean, they could go and Google them or whatever they do, but um, they, they're inspirational people. And in taking up the chair, I want to 
I want to encourage and be inspirational, but I want to disrupt people's thinking about the aspirations for our people education-wise. People like in the schools and school teachers and, and Adam and Michael want to do that because look what they've achieved. Now they're successful business people and... Um, that, yeah, that I, I'm just um, very blessed to have them as friends. Yeah. And, of course, the, the, the Go Foundation gets its support from Corporate Australia. Yes. Why is it important that Corporate Australia gets behind initiatives like the Go Foundation to support young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, uh, you know, through education? Yeah, sure. And we do – we have got a grant with the um, National Indigenous Agency at the moment, but it, uh, you're right in um, the predominance of our funding is for corporates. So I – I think this is a very unique part of our um, foundation in that these corporates see themselves as part of an ecosystem. So it's beyond corporate social responsibility. It's that, you know, if you're talking about mentoring or giving people uh, young Aboriginal children who've decided that they want to invest in their education um, opportunities for access. So they provide, um, you know, like there's a Twitter day. Um, Bloomberg uh, provides access. GHD provides, um, you know, internships. So they see that also it's not just giving, it's also receiving the benefit of that knowledge. And um, I'm I'm really proud to be part of a foundation which is, is broader than just the school gate and giving those pathways for our children. I just think it's fantastic. And what's next for the Go Foundation? Yeah, so well, look out, ACT. We're um, looking to come to 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 you, and we've got to make sure that we do that right. Um, you know, ultimately, we want to um, get more scholarships. That depends on getting uh, funding, um, and we're also at you know, like most organisations, we're also thinking about. COVID and how do we do those never returns so don't go back to some things and and adjust our business model but ACT is definitely a big one we've just had a huge um, sort of um, sort of landmark thing happen with our 500th um, scholarship so celebrating that um, learning from COVID and you know you know hopefully looking at what we could do nationally in a timed and measured way yeah and if uh, students want to get more information about being part of the, the Go Foundation, where would they go to, to get that information? Absolutely. And I really encourage anyone's listening um, that's interested, please go on to our website, the Go Foundation website, because our um, scholarship are open at the moment till the 22nd of October. And uh, we've all done it online now. So um, hopefully it's quite easy. Um, it's The other thing that you've got to do is do a little video or talk to your family about the support they're going to give you. And it's a great application form and process. So I really encourage people who are interested to apply. Isn't that great that it's actually not just about you, it's about the support structures around you and family yeah. because it's it's a family engaging in that scholarship, isn't it? It's not just Absolutely. an individual. Absolutely, and what support are you going to have? And, you know, for some people it might be having to get out of some friendship groups, like if you've made the commitment and once you're part of our family, you're part of the family, so we go from kindergarten to uni, um, you know, it, it is, isn't it? Like, mm. you know, what family support have you got when you're when you're not having that good day um, and, and how what do your family think about this? I, I think it's a different application form, so I really encourage you to go on the website and apply. Yeah. And, of course, there's a, there's a lot of educational foundations around the country, but how important is it or, or how much of a bonus is it for, for you to have two people like Mickey O and Adam Goods, um, two great mates, two iconic sportsmen, leaders, um, but people who are just very passionate about what they do? How important is it for them to be sort of the face of the Go Foundation? 
It's amazing. And, you know, they dedicate a lot of time to this and they care really deeply. And I just, I couldn't be prouder of them. And, you know, to, to think about women and the impact of women on their life, to not only just think about it, but to act and invest in the scholarships that way, to give their time. Um, you know, and, and Adam, you know, even last year standing up to racism and to see the support that Michael provided him um, that perhaps other people hadn't seen behind behind the scenes, um, you know, they're, they're a very st- special combination of people, and I'm just happy to hang around and try to share them in the meetings. I need to. That's a joke because um, they're very good and diligent board members. Um, but you know, to I, I feel honoured. I feel blessed. I feel a level of responsibility, but mostly I feel gratitude to them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think, you know, their, their bond that those two have is amazing. And I remember watching um, the Australian Dream yes. um, and, you know, seeing uh, Adam's last game where he retires and comes off the, the field mm-hmm. and is in the change room and they pan to Mickey O and Mickey O is in tears. Yeah. And you right. just knew that, you knew the bond, like it, it made my eyes water up because you just knew the bond between them and what it's what it meant to them. Absolutely. Um, thanks for joining us today. It's been great to, mm. to chat. Thank you very much, JP, and it's lovely to see you. And, um, yeah, and thanks very much for all your listeners. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, I reckon we can keep on going. Maybe we should start our own breakfast radio program <laughs> and um, just keep on going. But, but thanks for joining us and we look forward to having you um, on in the future and good luck with both your roles and we look forward to you getting back on and seeing how the progress goes. All right. Thanks very much, Dave. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Always love, always will be. Always will be.